Hello, hello. Welcome to Irrepressible. I am Erica Ashley. I just have to tell you the backstory behind this week's episode because it came about in such a perfect way that I really think that I manifested this episode. The timing was perfect. Everything about it just came together very effortlessly. If you listened to last week's episode, I talked a lot about mindset and things that I do um, personally that just keep me in a good mood as often as I can be. One of them was affirmations and um, connecting movement with intention and how can you combine like positivity with habits. And I came across Riji Raja and it was like fate. She created this company called Affirmation Darling and they're these affirmation cards, but they're more than just an affirmation card. On the back, they have like tools and tips and actions that you can take to help keep you in a state of moving forward and getting closer to achieving your goals. And I really think that it came about because I was talking about it last week and and there was a really good response. A lot of people, um, a lot of you sent me DMs saying, how you related to it or how it was a different twist on what you do. I got a lot of response on the grounding, which I think is awesome. Um, And so that made me really excited. And I was like, okay, maybe like, let's dive deeper into this. And so this episode just came together like really easily and perfectly, but more than just having her share her journey in creating these affirmations, it feels so much more special to me because of the journey that she has gone through. It's a crazy story. Um, It's incredibly inspiring. She shares it all and doesn't really hold anything back. The gist of it really quick is that she was born in Kuwait. She moved to the US. Um, She lived in Los Angeles and does now, and she was homeless for two years and what that was like. And it's just her positivity and mindset now and even when she was reflecting back on what it was like during the times that she was homeless just had me in awe like the strength that she has is just really incredible and it proves to me that things like affirmations work if you're consistent with it and vision boards and all these other tools that she's going to talk about that she used and still continues to use Um, it just made me really hopeful that the things that we do that may seem silly, if you create a vision board or a list, or you say a mantra to yourself every morning, like it has more impact than you might think it does in the moment if you really commit to it. And Rigi is living proof of that. And so without further ado, I want to jump into our conversation. It was a long one, but she was just open and honest. And, um, her, like I said, her story was just really, really incredible. So here's Regi. I grew up in Kuwait. I was born and raised in Kuwait for 26 years. And then I moved to the U S 
uh, to Dallas, actually, because my husband happened. We met on Facebook. It it worked out. I've got a lot of people asking, so how's that working out for you? Yeah, we've been married for seven years. It's been working out well. So (laughs) so we have, um, yeah, so he happened and then I moved to Dallas. And, um, but going back to my childhood, I was, since I was born in like 87, so that's like close to the Gulf War. So the two Gulf Wars that we encountered, one when I was like almost like three or four years old. And then the other one, definitely I was in my conscious state and it was wild. And so we have, I have, I think I have heard all kinds of, like when they say all those bombing stories and everything, I feel like I've actually experienced that. I haven't come close to death or anything like that. But hearing that was like, I was like, wow, now I can say that I've heard a bomb go off, you know, Um, like we've seen, I've seen, we like the whole building was Bradley. I know this is not what you asked, but it's just uh, fun to like, you know, narrate. But um, there was that second Gulf War when we were all in a lockdown uh, and asked to be safe and stay inside and anthrax alert and all that stuff and so the whole building was rattling this one night and like I ran to my balcony I mean what you guys say patio here but uh we say balcony over there so we ran to the balcony and then we we caught it on time we saw this missile like going all the way above us about us and then next day we come to know that it uh landed in the beach in the waters um and so it was it's called salmia beach so that's where we were living we can't see the beach, but we're still close to it and so we heard the whole pounding the, sh- the rattling and, and we felt the rattling and all that stuff so we were like wow my brother and we're like wow we experienced our first ever missile that's cool and like we're like give me a high five because that's how we, were. we could make it light and also like young and naive so we were not taking it too seriously my, my dad and my mom were like get inside get inside it's not safe and all that stuff but um, I'm just glad that my parents were able to survive the first one because the first one was very, very bad. Um, but that's my, and then my parents, like they, my parents were in our caste marriage. When, when I say in our caste, it's the same religion, but it's different to, from two different states. So it's like a different language, different culture, different uh, food, different clothing, everything is different. So here's like two parents coming together, fusing together with two different cultures. And then I'm brought up under that. And like my husband walks in for the first time and they're meeting my parents. They're like, you guys are all speaking different languages at the same time. I'm like, oh yeah, I totally forgot to mention that. I don't hear it, but someone from the outside can hear that my mom and dad are speaking two different languages. Wait, uh, so what, what languages do you speak? So I speak, I speak both the languages, of course. Uh, I speak Malayalam, which is my mom's side. And my dad is a, is a Tamil. So he speaks Tamil, which is what Kamala Harris, like where she's from. Mm. So, um, so I am uh, half Tamil, half Malayali. Did your husband grow up in Dallas? He grew up in Dubai. So he also has a Middle Eastern background. And then he moved when he was seven. So he's been in the U.S. for a long time. So mm-hmm. that helped uh, for sure for me because it wasn't like both of us were exploring the country for the first time and experiencing all kinds of good things and the bad things um, because I have uh, encountered racism and bullying. And he's like, it's a given. But, and then he's taking me through the process and the healing process, like it's okay. You know, so we are, it, for him to say that this happens, we have to accept it, it was very heartbreaking 
And now that when we both like join forces together, we're like, no, we need to stop having such conversations like that and be like, we need to stand up rather than accepting that it's okay. It is not okay. And so I think the whole, the, the chemistry changed when we got married and it's been like the whole unity between us has been only for the better. Um, so, yeah. So then what brought you to Los Angeles? Cause you're in Los Angeles now. Acting. <laughs> I feel like anyone who comes to every Tom, Dick, and Harry you ask on the street is an actor for some reason. And so I happen to be the Tom. Um, and I, so we both moved for acting. And, but what led to that is when we were watching Oscars in, uh, back in Dallas, I vividly remember it was um, in, when was the Oscars? Like February. Why are not people who look like us? This was back in 2014. And so why are, yeah, so like, and we need more of our color people. Why are we not on that screen? We are the minority in America, but we're actually the majority. We are the second largest population in the world. And then outside America, we are the majority, but why are we the minority? Not that we want to take this, the place of majority, but be considered equal, you know, and not just put at the bottom. And so that really drove me to the thoughts of like, why don't we try this career? We have so much to say, so much to voice out. The only way to do that is to have a platform. And I feel like if actors, celebrities can use their platform uh, to speak out, to stand for something, to advocate, why don't we do that same thing? And so I think the whole agenda for us behind the acting is to have that platform to be able to speak up and speak out. Um, so it's just that ticket for us to get in. So yes, we, so we had to, we, had, we are pursuing acting to get there, but the real reason is much more than that. At the same time, I have noticed, I have, I've had to have, uh, to rewire my purpose sometimes and like I want to do this and then I end up in another path and I'm like oh this is somehow connected to that but going this way makes more sense than going that way Mm -hmm. so it's like kind of like the perspective the clarity everything just gets richer and clearer Mm -hmm. uh so this podcast is the thing that I'm always like, I wrote it on my vision board that I wanted to do a podcast uh, this year. It's so funny. You're like my fourth and it's all, it's only four, three weeks right now. Oh my and you're gosh. Like, podcast. So like, I love being able to speak at the same time. Like you can hear that I'm really mumbling and stumbling on my words. I have such a fear of public speaking. I can do 15 seconds of talk, but I, it's like, Someone told me like, you're so great in articulating words. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, on paper. I'm good at articulating words on paper. I can write, I can think and write. I'm like this quiet poet, like poet. Like I can't speak fast. Um, But so I have to be like super careful when I form those words. But uh, yeah, so I'm practicing that as well. I'm being very open about my struggles. Like I hate faking it, but if there's anybody who feels the same thing, high five. Absolutely. Okay. So let's jump into that because you've had LA hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows for you from the beginning. Nope. Nope. Um, when I moved to LA, both my husband and I, uh, well, we thought we could make it. But, and then the thing that I learned over the years is that yes, diversity, diversity started very small when I felt, I feel like when I started, it was still at the at just at the beginning phase and right now it's being embraced 
But at the same time, I feel like I'm still waiting for my turn because I am still the minority. Because of that struggle, um, we, we thought we could at least get through the cracks, but we didn't even see the crack. And then what we saved up for like six months and that didn't work out and everything fell apart and we lost everything. And we ended up moving into a car for two years. And um, of course, if someone told us that we would have to live for two years, moving to LA when you pursue acting, nope, that's okay. We'll just stay here and rot in Dallas. But we did it. And so again, so many of them just said to go back, you know, maybe this is not for you. But we were like, we didn't come this far to come this far. We lost everything. And if we are going to gain back, gain it all back, it's going to be through pursuing the same thing that we set our foot on, we decided to pursue. And so, um, that two years was an ordeal. The two years, I would not go back and change a single thing about it, even though it has been super painful and a journey of its own. I don't think I can, I would go back and change anything. You know, like when you go through a trial, when you go through a really hard journey and it makes you more humble, it makes you more gifted, more appreciative, more empathetic, more sympathetic, and more of the person that the world needs you as and not, I feel like if I look back at my past and being super open, I've caught myself being very arrogant or not being grateful for everything that I have, taking things for granted and taking uh, relationships for granted. But then when everything was stripped away from me, when we were in our car, I was like, wow, I wish I took the time to appreciate what I had before. But now I do. They say, you don't, you don't miss the water until it's gone. Like, I missed everything. We lost community. The second we told our story to our friends, we lost our friends. It's like, it's more like, um, I think there was this fear or maybe, I don't know, I'm just assuming here, but um, I don't, yeah, I haven't asked them. But it's like the second you open up, I'm like, are you afraid that I'm going to ask you for help? Because that's one thing that I, we were like, that one area we were we maintained our ego or like, we are not going to ask anybody for anyone's help. We're just going to do it on our own because we, we, this is our journey. This is our personal journey and we're just going to do it uh, by ourselves. Mm -hmm. So telling the friend or our friends or our circle, the whole purpose for a uh, whole purpose behind me opening up to them was so that they could just check in on me and I could have that peace or that place to go to if I'm going through a mental breakdown. But if you can't even have like 10 minutes to speak with me or uh, not respond to my text message when I'm reaching out, that's when like, I am like three text messages. After that, if I don't hear from you, we, you're, we are done. Mm -hmm. You probably already said that I'm done, but okay, now we are done. And so I'm. that's another thing that taught me through the journey of who I need to be around with and who my friends are. And that, I feel like even when you're living in a car, um, something that really uh, changed in me is my level of discernment. Both my husband and I, he's like way up here when it comes to discerning things. Like as soon as he sees something or someone, he's like, that's not that's not going to work for us or that situation is not going to be in favor of us and then i'm like no i have disregarded so many times whatever he has said and like months down the line or like a year later it happens exactly like how how he said and then 
but there was no sign for it to fall apart in the beginning. I'm like, how do you know that? It's like living in the car. You just know you just pick up so many things. So like I lean on him a lot. Uh, but at the same time, I, I have been, I am wary of like who or what I, you know, talk or who I open, open up with and who my friends are. So I keep my circle very tight and that is so important. Like you need to find somebody who you trust you, who doesn't judge you. But the sad part is that I found all those friends only after I came out of the journey. So then, but they're like, it's also like, we wish we saw you, we knew you before. So I'm now forming a, like a sacred circle of friends, but I, yeah, it was a hard lesson that I learned. Um, and then of course, uh, living in the car had all these perks. One was, of course, we saved up a lot, whatever we made, we could save up. We didn't, uh, we didn't have a rent or anything, uh, looming over us, but there were days when we would, we would go hungry. We would have, we would not be able to eat three meals a day. And I remember we would, uh, eat, just get this whole six feet, six foot long from Subway, and we would divide it like into three parts and then have it for the whole day because we couldn't buy a meal. Uh, that was a very, that's like a very vivid memory of how we couldn't eat so many days. And then we would do a lot of background acting, and then you know how at Crafties at lunch mm-hmm. they give food. So my husband and I would take turns because we have a little dog as well. Uh, his name is Marcus. He's a Yorkie. So and so we couldn't leave him in the car and go, both of us go work. So we would take turns. And I'm like, yeah, Marcus, we have done so much for you. You better know that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so here we are working our butts off for that guy. <laughs> and then uh, we would take turns and then we would bring food. Like I would text my husband like hey so today it's salmon like how many do you want mm-hmm. <laughs> for today's steak and then I've had people like um next to me standing in line like oh are you packing for a village like that it still stuck with me that line and that now I I used to like look at give that side eye with to people who you you know used to pack extra food but that that really opened my eyes when that person said that I'm like wow you don't know what that person is going mm-hmm. through you're just seeing everything externally but here I am when you said that you probably like were teasing me or maybe you just genuinely wanted to make a joke but inside I was bleeding inside I'm like we don't have food to eat when we go back today's the last day of the background I don't have food to eat tomorrow Mm -hmm. so I am going to take this in my car and I'm going to feed my husband you know Mm -hmm. and that's one another thing like we were always looking out for each other we were always uh, making sure that either of us like was always like on top always strong and never breaking down but it was so hard like one of us will break down the other one has to stay strong and it's like taking turns to do that but it was so mentally exhausting and uh, when we first when we first like came to know that we had to live in our car we contemplated three ways to end our life and I'm like, we took a whole night to discuss that. We stayed up in the car. We didn't know how to sleep. We didn't know how to, we, we didn't, we were figuring out life basically. And so instead of figuring that out, we put all the energy and ideas and um, thoughts to how to end our life. And then I'm like, okay, we need to snap out of this. Let's sleep on it. I literally said, let's sleep on it. Then we'll talk tomorrow. And the next day I woke up, I'm like, why don't we put the same energy that we put into f- ending our life into actually 
restarting our life in this new phase, you know, this is a new chapter. I believed throughout the journey, I believed that the whole car journey was like a bridge from the, the, the season before to the new season. So I'm like, this is not permanent. I know this is a bridge and we just have to cross over. So even though it took two years, you know, that drive on that bridge was hard, it was shaky and it was unstable. But at the same time, we now made it on the other side. I wouldn't say 100% made it, but we got out of the car for us, that is us making it because we are not in our car anymore. But why don't we, yeah, so why don't we put that energy into uh, getting a life back together and making this work in our favor? So we would find ways to make it work in our favor. Like we would do road trips and we would say, well, we saved up on the hotel. We, I mean, we saved on the hotel so we can just uh, stay in the car and still get to explore places. And so we would do road trips and uh, we would, and then somebody told us about um, food stamps. We didn't even know about food stamps. That's one thing that we faced was uh, lack of, I feel like we were in the dark when it came to these resources out there. We didn't know how to find them or how to navigate through them. Uh, I would just Google like how to live homeless or where to live one night, one night um, cheap stay. You know, I, I would find, look up for these things, but I didn't know the we didn't know the government was actually giving food stamps or um, there's these, you know, financial aids or government help that way. So we came to know about it only maybe like nine to 10 months later when it was that 10 months. I was like, wow, wish we did this before. Um, and so when we got the food stamps, it was like, oh, so good. Now we can eat like properly. And then we would have, uh, again, the other thing was, you know, when they give you the food stamps, it's like they, they're assuming that you're actually living in a place and that you just just that your income is low but they we were like we're living in a car and then we were like no let's not say that because we found out we're not supposed to be absolutely homeless and so uh we got the food stamps and then it was like how do we eat hot food now? We can buy frozen. Like everything that they're talking about is like, oh, if you're like on the low income, this is how you need to budget. And everything's like requiring a freezer or a fridge. Mm -hmm. And it was so hard. So we would just eat nutrition bars or um, lots of kombucha, lots and lots of kombucha. And, um, and then whole foods, like their salad bar, their hot bar and all that stuff. But we just couldn't hoard food and we couldn't uh, we just had to find those things that we could instantly eat but instantly consume mm -hmm. uh, but we were so grateful because we were like 10 months ten, the last 10 months we were just eating like one subway and this is much better and then ikea ikea had their two dollar breakfast that's another treasure find that we had they had their two dollar breakfast with like sausage and eggs and so this is like organic so it's heaven and so we we were staying in ikea from, from we were we were literally staying in ikea from morning to evening we would just sit there and just like lounge there and they probably know us like really well i've noticed a lot of people do the same and i like i wanted to ask like are you guys also you know in a situation but a lot of people were doing that and that's when you see and you're like you're not alone and there are people going through similar situations um and then we would use um, showers at Planet Fitness and we would work out too. So we didn't have a choice, but we, we had to work out and then shower. I feel like we, had, we were earning our shower. <laughs> and so, and also because in the car, you're not moving much. You would think that, but we actually were like, okay, this is so claustrophobic. 
let's just be in the car during like bedtime. Let's always stay outside the car. Um, so the morning we, yeah, we would do a, like one hour workout all the time in the world to do that. And then we will go to Target, walk around, just aimlessly wander in Target, but also like leaving Target with nothing in our hand because we couldn't afford to buy anything. At the same time, we we're like, even if we can buy, where are we going to keep these things? What is the point? So we, we also like nurtured this minimalism and this minimalistic lifestyle. And that was one thing I kept visualizing that when we get a place, I want to have the least number of things in the house. And so we started like cutting down on a lot of things, like, because um, where I come from, my mom, she loves collecting things. And I, I, I went to India um, recently and I saw her collection of plates and I'm like, this is you both why do you need like 150 plates? Like who is going to eat all these plates? And it's like, oh, I've been collecting this since 80, since the 80s. I'm like, yeah, how many have you used? It's still in wraps. It's like all wrapped up in plastic. So I felt like I got the same behavior. Like I used to do that. And so now it's like, okay, I, let's not do that. Let's throw away things that we don't want. So it's not like absolute minimalism, but it's like, okay, if we don't need this, how have you used it? No? Okay, then throw it. No second thought, you know? Mm -hmm. And so decluttering is something that I'm so proud of that I, you know, I was able to nurture that quality in me. Um, uh, Yeah. So it's like, I feel like it's been a journey of self-exploration, self-discovery. And I am super grateful for those two years. And I feel like I've brought so much of that into my new life that I have right now. So um, another situation that we encounter when we were living homeless is that people would say that we don't look homeless. And I would be like, how do you expect us to look? We, did, you, did you want us to hold like a signboard that says that we're homeless, we're, we need to feed ourselves, give us money? Or do we like wear sackcloth and just sit on the streets and beg? Like, I'm sorry, but there are different kinds of homelessness that everyone goes through. And some of us are ashamed to share the story. Some of us are ashamed to come out for that story. And that was who we were. We were so ashamed of our story. We were so like, we were filled with shame from head to toe that we were facing this. So we didn't tell anybody. We didn't even tell our parents, especially coming from an Indian culture. It's homelessness in, in a middle-class family is completely unheard of. So if I told my family, that would be the end of them and the end of me. It's going to be more like, oh, what will the society think? Like, we've sent them off to America and this is what's happening there. This is what they're doing. Like, we can't handle that. So we decided to just keep it to ourselves. And we went through that two years on our own because uh, we've had people ask, like, why didn't you tell your parents? Why couldn't they help you? The thing is I couldn't because I didn't want them to know if they know, if they know I would be kicked out of the society. And it was, it's going to be a whole lot of drama. And I just wanted to avoid that. So then I'm launching the business. Now it's like, okay, it's time to now say my story or else because it, it is based on my story. If I don't say it now, then this business doesn't have any meaning or any soul to it. And I told my, I made a video. It's on my Instagram. It says our story. This is us. And my parents, um, I, I was like, how do I tell my parents? This, like, as soon as I made the video before I hit uh, some like post, I sat in my, so on my couch and I cried and I prayed. And then as soon as I posted, I like fell over the couch and I bawled, started bawling in tears. And I was like, 
oh my God, our story's out. What's going to happen? We're, everyone's going to hate us. My family's going to hate me. They're going to write us off. We just, we're not going to have anybody loving us. It's like all kinds of negative feelings. And then I'm like, it's too late. It's already out there. Let's let it do its thing, you know? And then I called my parents and they didn't react yet. So I was like, I called them. I'm like, did you watch my video? They're like, yeah, you posted something. So apparently they saw it on the Instagram stories only that 15 seconds, but it was longer than that. They just saw the first part. So they didn't, they were, weren't curious to know what I posted. And so I told them on the phone and I told them on the video. And so because they're in India, it's so hard to communicate when you're not in the same place. I told them and my mom went in shock and she was like completely speechless. She like turned her face away from me and she just sat there and I was like, mom, do you have anything to say? I can't believe you didn't tell us. I can't believe you didn't, you didn't confide in us. But I'm like, oh, that's a better answer than saying, I don't want to talk to you. So, and they're like, why would you think we would be mad at you? I'm like, yeah, you're saying all this now, but I just, I know that it's going to be devastating for you especially when it's two years and it's going to be every day. Even today, they're like, did you get a job? Did you get, um, are you able to feed yourselves? So I'm like, can you, and I told them again, like, can you imagine if I told you that we were living in our car for two years, the call every day would be, did you find a place? Did you find a place? Did you find a place? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't handle that because we know we're going through this, pro- this whole journey of the process and has to go on its own, it has its own terms and conditions. And you can't keep trying to meddle with that. And so we wanted to do it on our own. We wanted peace and we wanted a sanity. So that's why we didn't tell you. But they were so broken. And um, I, I thought they handled it better than I feared. And so I'm grateful for that. And now, and I thought they would say, don't tell it to anybody else. But they haven't said it once, which I'm really surprised. Because there are so many things in my life that are like, don't tell them. Don't, what will people think? It's always like, what will people think? That's how our culture is. Like it's, it's matters so much what the society thinks. And then I had my relatives, my cousins, like asking my mom, what is going on with your daughter? Is this true? Is she making it, making it up? Even my brother, he's like, is, it, is she making it up? And then I told my mom, like, do you want to send all those people to me? I will answer them. You don't have to sit and answer everybody. She's like, I don't know what to tell them. Like, yeah, you don't know because I didn't tell you. And that's okay. She feels like now she's obligated to answer everybody. Mm. And she hates, like, I feel like she's still uh, not wanting to confront that. Like if somebody asks that, she's like, I don't know. Even we didn't know when until she told us. But I'm like, you're supposed to defend us a little bit. So she's not like, they are doing a good job and not doing a good job at the same time. You know, they don't realize that. And so telling our parents was, of course, a huge thing last year, which was a big, like, it was like a lie. Like for us, that was our form of being in our closet. And like, when we came out of that story and then me and my husband were like, this is it. If they don't love us, it's just going to be two of us. You know, we've done it before, but it didn't really go that bad we've had all some of them like saying like we wish we knew but I'm like yeah I don't know if you could have done anything though you know like this is my my culture is a culture where oh when are you getting married when you're having children when are you when are they gonna be when are you gonna be uh uh sending them off to school it's like all that like oh which school I had somebody ask me so which school have you decided to send your kids to I'm like I am not even pregnant yet what are you talking about so that's how they like they always go like 15 20 years ahead not even like 10 year plan it's like 20 year plan (laughs) and so last year I went to India and they're like oh what have you decided to name your kids I'm like who told you that I'm pregnant I'm not even having kids yet (laughs) So they just go forward and it's like a thing of shame. And then 
we had a lot of my mom's like so so and so asked when you're having children I'm like, did so-and-so ask? Or are you really concerned about when we're having children? But I know that it's both. Like she's, my parents are like, we don't know what to keep telling our, our relatives. But I'm like, are they going to pay for the kids' diapers, the, the kids' school, the kids' needs and all that? Like, this, and then when I disclosed my story, I was like, were they there? Were they, if I told them, were they going to pay for our uh, house? Were, were they going to be there in our life? No. Like, so that's the problem with my culture that they're always meddling with you know who you need to be who you should be and not who you know you as a person what you want to be it's always they dictate the person that you need to be so if you're not a doctor or an engineer it's a thing of embarrassment oh my daughter is like doing bachelor's in science i'm like mom tell them what is it in why why do you want why do you like keep that part away but they don't understand it won't make sense it's not a prestigious thing but I don't blame my parents. Like, I want to say that, that, that my parents are not to be blamed. It's the society. It's like, they're so conditioned to thinking that having this, these levels and these statuses is what makes you as a person. And if you're like, just like an inch below that, then you're not, you don't belong to society. That's how we are so brought up. So those are all the fears that of the culture fears that we had that we didn't want to the reason why we didn't share that, but oh my gosh, last year was amazing when we said the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so glad you shared. How did you maintain a sense of positivity during that time? Because you keep, you, I can hear it in your voice that you were like so optimistic. And I think that's something that's so hard for a lot of people, especially in a situation like that. What did you have a routine? Did you, is it just who you are? Like, how did you keep that? The answer, my secret sauce to staying positive was my faith. Uh, I, I have, I'm so rooted in, because again, where we come from, God was always a, a topic that was instilled from when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up as a Christian, but at the same time, I would question a lot of things. I felt like there was a phase when I was a teen um, I was like, I don't believe in God. I feel like my parents are just saying, oh, if you don't do this, God will punish you. Like it was, that was how I was brought up. So I used to hate this concept of God. And then um, I, I just didn't feel loved. I didn't feel and, like there was that rebellious, you know, state when you're in your teen. And I was like not feeling loved, not feeling wanted. Everything that I'm saying has, was not being accepted. And it was like, I don't want to live anymore. And then I attempted suicide and then I, I swallowed these pills and then I knew like, there's no way if you research it, there's no way. I feel like it's a miracle that happened. I swallowed 16 pills. I, I Googled the other day, like, are you, can you actually be alive after swallowing that? Your body, your body has to go in shock. And I woke up the next day alive and no problem. And I felt like it was like the still voice in my heart. And I felt like God was saying, it's not your turn. You have so much more to do. So much, so much to do, so much to do. And I kept hearing that. Wow. I was like, wow. And then my mom woke up, she was like, wake up, it's school time. You know, it's, uh, it's time for school. And I'm like, I looked at the pack and I'm like, I, I, I'm like counting the pills. I'm like, I took 16 of these. How am I still alive? And so I knew like that second that there was a higher power. And that even though my parents are saying, you know, God will punish you, this fear God. Mm-hmm. And yes, you know, have reverence to God, but not 
fear him in a way that, you know, like I started hating the concept, but then when he saved me and I felt like oh, that was a miracle, I was like, I want to know this God more. Um, but I knew the Bible and everything, but this was a different journey for me. And so ever since then, <coughs> sorry, ever since then, like God has been a huge part of my life and I've taken him, uh, I've, I've taken him with me like everywhere I go. So I always say like, I feel like in our, when we were living in our car, like he was always there watching us, protecting us. There were so many um, situations where we were like, wow, we could have died when that happened like when we were moving my husband didn't get sleep for four days the first day we were moving into a car and he was driving a truck and we got into a wreck in a way that I literally had to slap his face and we were on the bridge like if he swerved a little bit we could have gone off the bridge and that it was a highway it was an Amazon truck and they didn't stop we kept going it's like and then I knew that it was like God watching over us. So there were like small, small things like these. Once you were, when you were driving, I forget what it was. Some Something from our car, like a part of our car just fell off from our car. And we heard like, and then the whole car just tilted like a little outside. And they started like dragging and we saw spark from the back. And then people were honking and they were like, oh, I forget what it was. And my husband was like, oh yeah, that dropped. Oh. <laughs> and- you know like how do we oh my gosh we could have died like what if we because our car is in front of us and so again there was protection we were on the side we swore off on this to this towards the side in safety um and then yeah like every day we would wake up thinking how are we going to eat today what are we going to do you know how are we going to navigate through these 24 hours and then god would keep us busy somehow he would always provide i've had friends text me from Kuwait uh, and saying, Hey, so um, I don't know if this is for you, but I was praying and God said to give you this much amount of money. And I was like, my phone bill was about to can my phone was about to be canceled phone line. And this was the exact amount that I was needing. How did you even know? They're like, that's the power of God. Okay. And so he, they did that. And then once we were living because our car was still leased, we couldn't, um, we, there were like two months we postponed, we could call and say, but we reached that limit. And then again, this person was like, I felt like we needed to give you this amount. I'm like, That's the Carly's amount that we needed. So it was like, always like, it, you know, they say God never shows up early. He never shows up late, but he's always on time. Mm-hmm. Like that's how it was. Like if, if it's like next day that we were going to get the next, the last call for something worst that was going to happen like he would show up like a minute before and so it was like so many instances like that that God would show up and that's one thing I feel like I'm I'm like okay you have given re you know you've given me this new life and what can I do for you and so that was that is also another thing like I feel like I want to give back to God what he has given back to me so when we lost everything I feel like we've been everything he has restored and he has taught me patience and taught me how to be humble and how to lean on him. And there's this verse in the Bible that I love, um, lean, do not lean on man or what he says, like lean on me, do not lean on your own understanding. And so I was like thinking everything on my, well, why is that working? Okay, let me do this. Let me do that. And then it, it doesn't work. Everything falls apart. And then God's like, I told you that I was going to take care of it, but no, you had to jump the gun and you had to do it on your own. 
and you set yourself up for failure and now you're crying and then so now it's like okay god i'm gonna do this i'm gonna set myself into this uh, new path or i'm gonna uh, venture out and do something new you tell me if this is meant to be or not give me a sign so i always like taunt him and i always uh, pester him for signs and uh wonders and i'm like i need a sign i need a sign lord and so um i feel like everything that you've done has been always conscious of that and like he created me i know that two years was a creation of his like he created that story it was meant to be for us to go through that for a reason and they say, oh, it's probably the, you know, the devil's attack on you. Like, yeah, the devil probably attacked, but then there was God also protecting me. So how can we reverse that, you know? And so like everybody, whether you believe in God or not, you know, when you go through a hardship and when you come out of that, you come out as a different person. And so when you're even more conscious and um, more intentional about how you're coming out of that journey, that's when you know, like, you are setting yourself up for success. You know, the, the person you have become after that journey is so, so polar opposite to, to the person you were before. And so uh, I added, I add, you know, God into the mix. And it's just for me, like, that's how I, I lean on him so much. I feel like I am crippled when I don't lean on God or my faith. The second I don't pray, I feel like I just feel so icky, like answer my pants. Uh, that's how I feel. Uh, yesterday, it was so funny. So yesterday, this is very new. I haven't shared this with anybody. Um, I had someone uh, email me someone in a very high place saying that, oh, it's not the right time for entrepreneurship because I started a small business. And then I started crying. I, I didn't address it internally. And I was also having a mental meltdown with so much things to do. And then that person's email just added up to that. Mm -hmm. and I was like, I, I started crying and I just felt so like, wow, what am I doing? What's the point of all this? And then I get another email. I signed up for this a word, uh, like a godly word every day. And I get this email like at, at 12. It said, do not give, do not be discouraged. Keep going. <laughs> and I was like, how did you know God? And I was like, I'm watching over you. I know exactly what you're feeling because I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't see the point of doing any of this. And that's how I said that. And then that person said, and you know, basically validated my, my negative thought. And then God's like, don't be discouraged. Keep going. So that's how, like, that's how my faith is. So like, if I'm going through something, uh, when you said how I'm staying positive, like, yes, I let myself go through that negative turmoil and that turn of emotions. I let myself actually feel everything because I used to feel like, no, no negative thought, only positive, only positive. But then you're shutting everything inside. They say, don't think negative, but I'm like, it's okay to think negative. It is okay to process it. And now let's bridge that to thinking positive and be like, how can I now convert that thought and like reverse engineer it, you know, and think positive. So for me to help, for how, what has helped me to reverse that is when I bring God in personally, that worked for me because when I go through that negative thought and I'm sitting and crying, and then I, when I hear the still voice of God or someone sending me something or someone saying, Hey, I prayed and God said this about you. And I'm like, okay, I hear, I know you're watching me. I know, I know you hear me, God. And so that gives me hope. And that's like an immediate rise of hope. It's like an adrenaline rush for me. I'm like, oh, he heard me, he heard me, you know, he heard my prayer. So it really excites me that way. And I think that is not, I think, I do believe that that was the main reason or that was my secret sauce to 
staying mentally strong, staying positive, staying hopeful, and staying in the like light, even though it felt so dark. Like I felt like I was uh, like completely, you know, in a in a lit situation. But even though it was like fully darkness around me, but I just chose to see the positive because there's no other way. I mean, we would have otherwise, I don't know, we would have exhausted ourselves from living through negative thinking and negative self-talk and all that. And when you put two people together, if they're doing the same thing, like negative self-talk to each other and talk and also like negative words over each other, oh my gosh, it would be so miserable. So we were very conscious about that. Wow. Okay. I want to talk about Affirmation Darling. Okay. Uh, So I launched Affirmation Darling in October on my birthday, birthday month. And so what led to that was that, again, bringing in the God factor, I was like, okay, I'm stuck at home and we have um, nothing to do besides just thinking of and pondering on our life <laughs> when everyone's quarantining we were all, all in lockdown and quarantining and so i'm like everyone i can see these instagram like posts like people feeling miserable and going through breakdowns and everything i wasn't feeling any of that it was like we we were my husband and i were like we felt like we went through this for two years and this is just uh, just a, a like kind of like a replication of that but at the same time we have a place that's the only difference so what did we do how did we stay mentally strong and so it was like well, I went through my journal I love journaling and I love digital journaling I like dictating or like typing I don't like writing as much I like making lists with my hand but when it comes to journaling it has to be on my phone because I love um when you have the search feature I can search words I will go back to and search you know what I did in the, like I would, because I journaled so much in the car, I had all those notes in my, uh, in my journal. And so I would look up these journal entries and I would see a lot of times when we were having a mental breakdown and I would be like, this is what I'm feeling. So I'm going to do this to, uh, make me feel better today. So I felt like I saw, I saw, I started noticing a pattern everywhere. There was like, I have a pain point a personal pain point that I'm going through and then I'm coming up with a solution. And then at the end of the day, I'm logging in saying, oh, I felt so good doing that. Like I, I do feel that like I have resolved my pain point. So then that's when I got the idea. And also at the same time, because everyone's going through these, uh, the mental breakdown, you know, uh, season, basically mm-hmm. a fate. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, like so many people were launching affirmation cards and I saw this one, I saw so many. And then I was like, why don't they have anything for creatives and artists? Like everything is for, you know, anybody, but I want specifically for, because I feel like creatives and artists are the most sensitive people Mm -hmm. and we just can't handle comparison, rejection, loss, and being turned away and all those things. And so and even, you know, like writer's block or just, or just creativity block in general. And so I couldn't find anything for artists and I, and here's my journal with all these entries for if I, when I, since I'm an artist and a creative and I'm seeing myself in that category, like I'm writing all that catered to that. And so I put all these together and like, I want to bring it out there. I feel like everybody is an artist and a creative. They, they're people who are not accepting it. Like even when you're, if you're a ride share driver, finding the easiest route is you being creative. So everyone has that creativity in them. Mm-hmm. So 
I make these cards and then I was like, okay, these are for artists and creators, but what do I really want out of that? Because it is coming out through my, like from my story, how can I give back? And then I brainstormed and I was like, I want to be able to give it to the young adults, the homeless young adults. Like when I was homeless, I was somebody was there to guide and mentor me. I couldn't afford a therapist. So I had to do self-therapy basically. So I'm just doing the self-therapy, self-guided journal myself. And I, I didn't come across any journals that helped me uh, during my journey. I feel like there are so many, so many out there, mm-hmm. but it's so f- interesting that nothing helped me, nothing. So, because when you're going through your thing, you tell yourself like, nobody understands my pain. No one can understand what I'm going through. And that is true because no one can understand what you're going through, but you, Mm -hmm. you can feel every pain, like every cell aching when you're going through something. So I completely like use that energy to write things down and be like, okay, I am feeling this. How can I stop feeling that? And if I'm feeling this, if I continue to feel this, what's going to happen? What's the result? Oh, okay. I don't like the result. So what can I do to um, not feel that negative thought? Okay. If I think positive, what's going to happen? Oh, what's the result? Oh, I like this result. Okay. How can I get to that result? Oh, these are the action steps. So this is all like all the pattern that I put together. And then I'm like, we are adults. We are capable of navigating through this. I feel like we women, especially us women, we are very strong in handling tough situations. But what about those kids? What about the young adults who are just starting their life and especially the orphans, the sex traffic victims and who are the foster kids? And they're all like coming out of that phase and they're like, oh, I'm like an adult right now, but I don't know what to do with my life. Mm-hmm. You and I have gone through things. We are, we're old enough to now handle that. They are not yet. They're mm-hmm. just starting. So I made these cards with them in mind also. But I, halfway through, I'm like, oh, these are the guys that I want to be able to bless my cards with. And so I wrote it in a very layman terms. And I have my cards. Um, it's called Affirmations. So it's even though it's pegged as affirmation cards. It's not your typical affirmation cards. You, I, I have researched the market. I haven't seen um, something that I have crafted because I have seen actions for sure, but it's just like a prompt, but it's not enough to like, mine's more like helping you to reach your goal and not just, uh, okay, let's drain your brain and then get your feelings out. It's more like, okay, what can we do? What can we keep doing? And so, um, like I have one right now that says my faith is bolder, uh, my faith is bolder and louder than my fear. So I have these action steps like on the back. So it's like, uh, fear says, what if, while fate say, fate says, even if, and then, then I have like prompt questions. Like, are you afraid of quitting your day job to follow your calling? Are you afraid to move across the country to pursue your passion? Then it's like, take that leap of faith, do the counterintuitive, even if it seems illogical and then do not be domesticated by your fears when they creep in refuse to give in to them rather build your faith by verbally declaring positive truths over your life so it's like all these action steps to keep you going and then i have one for habit and the actions like do 15 minutes of that habit every day and if you do it for and if you can do 15 let's start with five and then that's 365 days of you putting in that five minutes of you know working towards something or building that habit so i have all these action steps so that's why it's called affirm actions and um my dream partner uh 
partner nonprofit organization was actually Covenant House. And I wrote it down. It's like, I would love, it would be a dream to partner with them. And it actually happened. But that's the other thing. Like, I'm not a fan of companies when they say, I, we donate 10% or there was one recently I saw 50 cent, 10 cents from the purchase goes to, this is a renowned uh, brand in Target, like 10 cents go to uh, feeding the children. Mm-hmm. Like, I know 10 cents adds up when a multitude buys it, but it's not enough. You know, when as a company, like it's time to give back and do good and not just think about us. I, when I first thought of like, okay, let's do, so our model is buy one, give one. So when you buy one, we give the exact same product, no cutting corners. We give that exact same thing to a homeless young adult. I want to ask you about your vision board, because you've said this multiple times that like you wrote down a podcast and you've had four. And then with um, the cards, working with the people that you wanted to work with, how do you formulate a vision board? Because I think you have something that you're doing that is bringing you results. Yes. Uh, when I first started hearing, I feel like the vision board concept, again, is in America. It's not so popular outside. So I never knew about that. Mm. But without knowing this, I would write things down. So I feel like I have been doing it since I was a kid. And so I would write what I want, not knowing what I was doing was actually a vision board. And so even though people make it so complicated here, like put pictures and put this and that. I'm like, you know what? Forget that. Just write down what you want. So I literally made this year's vision board on my Canva app. And I just wrote list. Okay, business, my personal life, my lifestyle, travel, marriage, uh, acting. And I just put these, these headings. And then I wrote at the bottom, okay, what do I actually want to be, uh, want to see. And then I told myself, it is okay that if I don't achieve all of this in a year, but this is a good foundation for me to know that this is my next project for the next year then, or the decade, but kind of like having those things that, okay, these are the areas that I need to work on. So when it came to business, I wrote, um, basically I'm, I'm working on getting exposure for my brand. So then I thought, okay, how can I get that? And that will be by interviews, podcasts, blogs, uh, um, blog posts and press release. So podcast was, I came up with the idea of podcast only like later. Like, so I'm, uh, I'm like, Oh wait, I forgot about podcast. I should add that. I added that on probably like 4th of January. And then, um, someone reached out to me the next day saying, Hey, uh, someone shared your, your face and, uh, I'm interested in knowing your story. Would you like to be on my podcast? I was like, and that too, the person that was through Kuwait, my friend in Kuwait shared my face there and then it happened. Um, and so me putting it out there is also, I feel like I'm telling God, like, this is what I want. And then I'm also like, if you don't like any of these, don't make it happen. So there's this part of me that surrenders to, to the, you know, what has to actually happen because we can all, you know, sit here and contemplate and put these ideas and, you know, formulate our desires, but we could also be setting up ourselves up for disappointment if it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm always adding that clause where, okay, I'm writing these down, but if it's not in your book, if it's not your will, God, don't let it happen. I'm not going to be sad about that. Uh, But it looks like podcasts are meant to be, so it's been happening. I believe like I always like when I share things like these, I always put the hashtag, like the power of writing, like 
write it down what you write down what you want because i think when you like get it out of your brain through your fingertips and you put it on the paper it's like you're going to keep seeing it if you don't see if it's on your phone this is part where like i wrote it down this like i i did i do remember writing it down then you know now it's happening so it's it's kind of like taking action and getting it out of your brain and just putting it on paper. And so I, I keep changing my vision board. I don't stick to it. Like, I feel like I'm breaking a lot of rules when it comes to vision board probably, but because I made it on Canva, like uh, I recently added uh, something else, like because it's editable on Canva and I recently added, updated it and then I print it again. So, you know, make your vision board, like be graceful to it and let it be editable, customizable and keep changing it if you have to. But there's so much power in writing because you are taking all that energy to come up with that thought and then you're putting it on paper, like kind of like, you know, they say sign it in blood, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's like powerful. So just put that, you know, ink that down. So, yeah. And then do you look at it every day or is it just like, it's there and you know, it's there. You look at it. I have it right now. I printed it and I always leave it on top. But then I feel like I'm reprint editing and reprinting it like every other week though. So, uh, but I always have it. But the funny part was uh, when I was in my car, I couldn't carry my vision board. I couldn't do a vision board. And so I came up with the, um, an idea of, have you seen those folders, the tri folders? Like you fold it yes. like that the card so I made a vision board that way so I could like carry it everywhere so it's like this foldable folder so I had like one side it's about acting and one side's like on uh, uh, personal and all that stuff there was no business sense it was just only acting but the front of the cover I put uh, I found this greeting card with the uh, uh, a 3d door and I took that out and I put it on my vision board and I was like, no matter what happens with the vision board, the first thing that I want is a house, is a place to live. So that was like the first thing. And I made that in 2004. I made the vision board for 2019 and we got a place four months later. So that's when, that was the first time that I made a vision board and I like, I put all my energy and my thoughts into making that. And I realized that, wow, there's so much in me that's like, I want all of these things. So let me get it out of me. Cause you know, you, you know how you remember something and then you hop into the shower and then you come out of it and then you forget what you thought of. Yes. It's like, so, you know, the brain dumping, I felt like I was dumping all my desires on this board. So now you have something to look at. So I carry that everywhere. I would look at it and then I'd be like, it's okay that I'm going through this car journey, but these are things that I eventually want to want to see happening in my life. So just work, just keep going. Don't give up. This is what you want. So that was my light at the end of the tunnel, the vision board. And then the, that's what kept me going. Yeah. Did you ever have moments of fear of like, what if this doesn't work out? Or was your, I know you mentioned your faith was like so strong, but did you have any of those moments? Oh, yeah. I mean, I had it yesterday, like that I was not going to make it. Right. <laughs> I have it every, every day. And um, I feel like fear is a part of everyone's life, even though they don't like to admit it. Mm-hmm. If you are faking it, great. I have faked it sometimes and I have caught myself faking it. And I'm like, what am I doing? Let me confront this fear. Sometimes I don't even address it. And so how I address fear, fear is that as soon as I'm afraid something's happening, like for example, a real life situation, someone, we were almost ready to get a job 
and we got, uh, it was on like December 28th, which was last year. And then on first of the year, we get a call saying, because of search, we won't be able to hire you. And so I like hung up because here we were planning everything around this new job because I'm still, I started the small business. That doesn't mean I'm like all set and ready to thrive on that business. It's still, a, it's still a hustle. So I, everyone says like they have that side job and then once they're ready, they leave. I haven't reached that point. So I definitely need that, that job, a side job. And so we get that call on the day, day one, as my parents say, they're very, very auspicious. They're like, oh, bad news on the first of the year is not a good sign. And I start crying. And then we were like, stop. It, it's like superstition. Stop, stop, stop. And so I'm like, wow, like how could that happen? Like today of all days. And then I am like, I just sat there in this exact same chair and I'm like froze. And I felt like there was panic attack happening, but it was like my body just froze like like completely like paralyzed. I'm just sitting like this and then I'm crying. Tears are rolling down. And then my husband's like consoling me and he's smiling and he's like, why are you afraid? But I'm like, are you not afraid? It's like, why? Why? We did this two years. We have overcome so much. Now you're stressing over something as a job. Like there's so much we have overcome. So many big mountains we have, we have moved. And now you're crying over one phone call who said we didn't even, like we literally got fired before we even got hired. You know, that's what happened. And so that was, I feel like my main strength I've noticed is my husband. When I break down, when I start feeling afraid, I immediately tell him, like I used to just keep it with me, keep it within me. But I, now I'm like, babes, I'm afraid this is going to happen. I don't know what to do. I'm having a meltdown. And he would like, okay, okay. He will console me. And I like that. He's more of an action person. He'll be like, okay, what exactly are you going through? Okay. So what are you afraid of? And then I feel like after he taught me that, when he asked me those questions, I would write them down now. I'd be like, okay, why, why am I afraid? Why am I feeling this? So I would first take the time to feel afraid, process the feeling, and then shift my mind to, okay, how can I get over this fear? And then I take a paper or on my phone, I would start typing. Okay. I'm feeling this, this happened today. How do I'm going to overcome this by doing this or that. So instead of accepting that feeling, the negative feeling, working around that and controlling it rather than that controlling you. Like the second you let these negative thoughts control you, you are doomed. But you can you can tell it to go to hell by you controlling it, by speaking to it and saying, you don't have any control over me. This is what I'm going to do to do to you so you can, you can be trashed forever. So I like talking negatively. I, I negatively talk to that fear, you know, like you don't deserve me. You don't belong in my life. And then, yeah, having that series of action steps to overcome that. I love that so much. Your positivity and just outlook on life is so infectious. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad you called me on. You are my, you're my vision board. That's coming to fruition. <laughs> I love that. You can, you can take me off your, off Canva. Yes. Oh no, you're staying. There'll be more. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> where can everybody find you and where can they order some cards? Yes. Um, you can find me on affirmation, darling just the regular spelling and I'm on Instagram. And if you want to just personally talk to me or DM me, I'm always open. My DMs are open. It's Riji Raja, R-I-J-I-R-A-J-A. 
Amazing. And then cards, you can find my cards on affirmationdarling.com. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Such an honor and such a great Wednesday to spend time with you. Mm-hmm.